1 Thessalonians chapter 2, their sermon text for tonight. Also page 876 in the back of the Trinity hymnal for our catechism lesson, questions 88 through 90. We'll read verses 1 through 13, 1 Thessalonians 2. We'll focus more on verses 9 through 13 and really just uh, taking a couple of phrases, especially from that passage. But we'll read this and you'll see how it connects to what we read in Jeremiah and how Paul uh, thought of his ministry and appealed to what he was doing. He was openly proclaiming the truth. He had been entrusted with the gospel, as it says here in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2. He spoke not to please man, but to please God, and he declared the gospel of God with an open statement of the truth. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Give your attention to the reading of God's holy word. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been, sh- and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, So we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children, So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We worked night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, while we proclaimed to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers." For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And we also thank God constantly for this, for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Amen. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of the Lord endures forever. Amen. Question 88 for our catechism lesson tonight. Question 88 of the shorter catechism. Let's read the answers together. 88 through 90. Question 88. What are the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption? The outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicateth to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all which are made effectual to the elect for salvation. How is the word made effectual to salvation? 
The Spirit of God maketh the reading, but especially the preaching of the Word, an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners, and of building them up in holiness and comfort through faith unto salvation. How is the word to be read and heard that it may become effectual to salvation? That the word may become effectual to salvation, we must attend thereunto with diligence, preparation, and prayer, receive it with faith and love, lay it up in our hearts, and practice it in our lives. Beloved people of God, we come this evening to the third thing which God requires of us in order that we may, as the Catechism puts it, escape the wrath and curse of God due to us for sin. We are required to exercise faith in Jesus Christ, as the Catechism has said. We are required to exercise uh, repentance unto life. We talked about that in recent weeks. And finally, uh, we are required, or God requires of us, the diligent use of all the outward and ordinary means whereby He communicates salvation to us. He gives salvation to us. We know that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone. We're not saying anything that contradicts that at all. What the Catechism is saying is that someone who has genuine faith, true faith, sincere faith, real faith, to diligently use the things that God gives to us in order for our spiritual life and our spiritual health will not be a problem. We've talked about this a lot recently, haven't we? What does God require? A sincere heart, a a, a genuine heart. If that is not there, God will pay no attention to outward displays of uh, religiosity. So if God says, "I, I give these things to you, so entrust yourself to them, give yourself to them, the ordinances, the the preaching of the word, the sacraments, and prayer. God says, here are the things that I give to you, and if you give yourself to these things, you will not be spiritually bankrupt. Sometimes when people join a church, the pastor or the elders might say to them, if you put a lot into this church, you're going to get a lot out of it. And there is, generally speaking, wisdom and, and, and truth to that. They're saying, Come to the worship services. Give yourself to relationships with the people. Invest in all of those things. And there will be a great return. And there is a lot of wisdom to that. God says something with even uh, more certainty and a higher authority. Give yourself to the ordinances that I have given to the church. And if you do, in genuineness and sincere faith, you will not be spiritually bankrupt. So the Catechism calls us to three things that we are to diligently use and pursue and to give ourselves to, that is the word, the sacraments, and prayer. And that outlines the, the rest of the shorter catechism. We'll talk about the word, and then it will talk about the sacraments, and then it will end with a discussion of, of the Lord's Prayer. So we focus tonight on the word of God. How do we receive the word of God? How are we to think about uh, the word of God? Well, certainly a, a genuine uh, person who believes in God, genuine faith, will seek after his word, and it will be their 
great joy to do so. The Word of God is that which is given to us by the authority of God and breathed out by the Spirit. It is authoritative. It is the the perfect collection of all that God has wanted us to have on this earth. What He wanted us to be able to have is what we have. The Bible, the Word of God, the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. It's God's authoritative communication to us. As we mentioned the Holy Spirit, we begin there with the truth that it is by the Holy Spirit that the Scripture is working. In our last verse of our passage tonight, we, uh, we read that Paul said, we thank God for this, that when you received the Word of God, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but as what it really is, the Word of God, which is at work in you believers. How is the Bible at work? And this is what we need to train ourselves to see, that any time we see Scripture is doing something, the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, and then it lists all these things that the Bible does. It, it cuts, it divides, it's at work. How is the Bible working? It's working always through the Spirit. So you need to train yourself, be able to see, to remind yourself that whenever Scripture is doing something, the Bible, it's doing that by the power of the Spirit. God is at work in us by the Holy Spirit through His Word. The Confession, chapter 1, paragraph 5, there's a, kind of a beautiful statement that, that brings us to this, this very thing about the authority of the Word of God. Well, what is it that makes it authoritative, true, reliable? It's not because it's a wonderful document, though it is. It, it's not because it moves us, though it does. It's not because there is beauty that attends to it. All of those things are, are true. It says, our full persuasion and assurance of the infallible truth and divine authority of the Scriptures is from the inward work of the Holy Spirit bearing witness by and with the Word in our hearts. The Spirit and the Word, to see those as, as linked inextricably, that that is where the Spirit is working, through the Word of God. So let's highlight a few of the things that we see. The Spirit enlightens. Why? Because we are told in Psalm 19 that the precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The Spirit gives enlightenment through the Word. To truly understand the Bible, when we understand it rightly and truly, that comes about through the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 4, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God shines in our hearts to give knowledge of His truth and His Word. The Spirit convinces and humbles, as we saw in, uh, in the Catechism. In the reign of Josiah in 2 Chronicles chapter 34, there's a great couple of chapters that talk about all that happened under Josiah's reign. But we read in, in 2 Chronicles 34 verses 18 through 21, an instance of the Spirit working through the Word of God to convince, to convict, and to humble someone. So we read there, then Shaphan, the, sec- the secretary, told the king, That's King Josiah. Hilkiah the priest has given me a book. 
And Shaphan read from it before the king. And when the king heard the words of the law, he tore his clothes. The spirit was working through the proclamation of God's word. King Josiah hears the word. He knows that he does not have an answer to it. He tears his clothes. Why? Because he knows that his people have strayed from the word of the Lord. They have broken the law. They have broken the covenant. And they deserve judgment and condemnation. And so the Spirit is working to convince us and to humble us, to convict us of sin. We go to the Word of God to read it and to have it uh, preached to us for that reason, that we might be convinced of its truth. The Spirit, as the Word is read and as the Word is preached, the Spirit draws sinners unto Christ. So we see this in Acts chapter 2. Uh, when they heard this, that is the, the open proclamation of the gospel by the Apostle Peter there on the day of Pentecost, when they heard all this, they were what? They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit was through the proclamation of the gospel drawing them unto Christ. For believers, as we read the Bible, as we hear the Bible preached, what is the Spirit doing? Conforming us to the image of Christ, molding us unto Christ's image. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Knowledge, knowledge of God, knowledge of Christ, beholding the glory of God through Scripture by the power of the Spirit, conformed to the image. So the Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ, sanctifies us through truth, John 17. The Spirit also makes us victors over the devil and the world, Ephesians 6. Put on the full armor of God so that you may be able to stand in the evil day and having done all, to stand. And there we see that the Word of God is, in Ephesians 6, according to the armor of God, the Word of God is called what? The sword of the Spirit. And the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So that is uh, part of the armor of God that helps us to stand in the evil day, helps us to overcome the evil of this world, and to be victors over the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's just a, a few examples of the way in which the Spirit is working through the Word. And every time that you encounter something in Scripture where it says that the Spirit is do, or the Word is doing something, enlightening, convincing, convicting, conforming, it is the Spirit who is the person doing that. We also see in the Catechism that there is a, a centrality of the preached Word, or a, perhaps a primacy of the preached word. The Spirit of God makes the reading, but especially the preaching of the word an effectual means of convincing and converting sinners. We see this very, uh, this very idea illustrated for us or at work for us in Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read uh, several verses and accounts here of the conversion of uh, the Ethiopian eunuch because we have there the very picture of this, someone reading the scriptures, and then it needs to be explained to them. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south 
to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. He rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, do you understand what you are reading? He said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of the scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter. And like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you? Does the prophet say this about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, he told them the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? He commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. That uh, is a picture for us of the, the way that God has willed things to go in his church. He blesses the reading of the Scriptures, and we ought to give ourselves to the reading of the Scriptures. And yet we know that we encounter many things in the Scriptures that we don't fully understand. Here in Acts chapter 8, we see that what is primarily at issue is the proclamation of Christ. And so those who are given the call to proclaim the gospel, to be ministers of the gospel, are always to give themselves to that work, to openly proclaim that salvation is found in Jesus Christ. And yet also in the church, we are to open up the full counsel of God. And we are to search the scriptures and to see how they speak not only of Jesus Christ, which they all, all, which they all do, all scripture speaks of Jesus Christ, but also the many ways in which God trains us and teaches us and equips us for life ahead. That's what we are doing here. That's why we give ourselves uh, to the preaching of the word. Nevertheless, God does call us to read the scriptures and to give ourselves to them, but they are to work together. They are not to be at odds with one another. Uh, It is not as though those who preach the word are to tell others to stay away from the Bible. There is much in the Scripture that we can easily understand. There are often depths that uh, need to be plumbed in a deeper way. But the basic message of Scripture is easily understandable. We're sinners. We need to be saved. We need to believe and trust in Jesus Christ. We need to walk by the Spirit and set our mind on things above. We need to give ourselves to the life that God calls us, which is a life of of sacrifice and service and love and honoring and being concerned about others. We give ourselves to these things and they are to work in concert with one another. Nevertheless, there's there's a primacy to what goes on here, to have all of God's people trained together And to have someone who has been trained, gone away to school and been trained to to teach the scriptures to you. Maybe he was trained in a a place like 
San Diego, California, which was very difficult. It was very difficult to be in San Diego for three years. I always think about that around, uh, around this time of the year. I think about, boy, it stayed warm all year. That was really nice. You may go to some place like Dyer, Indiana, if that's kind of your thing. That's fine, too. But to have someone who's trained uh, to open up the Scriptures and to explain them, to plumb depths together so that God might speak uh, by the Spirit through the Word. Romans 10 uh, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him who, of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Right? The, ch- the church goes on through proclamation and through ministers bringing forth the word of God. So how do we receive the word? We'll spend the rest of our time tonight thinking about this. Receiving the Word of God. The, the Catechism tells us, right? We receive the Word of God with what? Diligence. We read in 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 2, Paul says, we exhorted you. We encouraged you. We charged you, right? Uh, verse, let's see, First Thessalonians 2 verse 9 And verse 12, sorry, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. What Paul is saying there is that he was diligent in his training, in his proclamation. He did it in many different ways. In all the facets of of God's word, he brought it out to them. He exhorted them. He encouraged them. He charged them. Sometimes the word brings great comfort. Sometimes the word cuts to the heart and convicts. Sometimes it brings something before you that you realize you need to change in your life and you need to do so now. You need to do so immediately. But Paul was faithful and diligent in his proclamation. In order for Paul to be diligent in his proclamation, that tells us that the Thessalonians were being diligent in attending to his teaching. They were coming a lot to hear Paul preach and teach. They wanted to hear what he had to say. They had a hunger for what he had to say. This is exactly what we saw in, in, or what we see in the early church in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. There's amazing accounts uh, from, from Britain uh, around the time in, in mid-16th century when uh, under the direction of Thomas Cranmer, the, the, the Bible was made available in uh, the vulgar language for the first time. And apparently there was a Bible that was sort of affixed to a, a, a desk in all of, the, all of the churches there, the churches of, of England. And so you had for uh, the first time in these people's lives a, a Bible that could be picked up and read in their language. And all kinds of of scripture truths and things that we take for granted now that people were just encountering for the first time. There are accounts of people flocking to the church to to get a chance to read the Bible because they're saying, this is God's word and I have it here. An opportunity to read it. There were old men who did not know how to read, who taught themselves to read or who learned how to read late in life so that they could read the Bible in their old age. There are accounts of of workmen who would crowd around a a copy of the Bible while they were on break at at their work in the day. This was an an amazing time. They're diligent to see and hear and understand the Word of God, to read 
the word of God. Why? Because they believe just that about it, that it is God's word. If we truly believe it's God's word, we will diligently, diligently give ourselves to it, both the reading and the preaching. We ought to attend thereunto with diligence and preparation and prayer. Preparation and prayer. God gives good gifts, and yet he gives them as we come genuinely and in prayerful reliance. As we said this morning, we are to ask and to seek and to knock. God gives to those who come to him genuinely and in prayerful reliance. God's word should not be an afterthought in your day. You should not be just squeezing in a couple of minutes in order to check off the box. It should not be an afterthought of your day. And the Sabbath should not be an afterthought of your week. Uh, You ought to prepare uh, and you ought to pray for God to bless, not only when you read the Bible as a family or in secret, but also when you come to the preaching of the Word. You prepare for it. You prepare uh, the affairs of your week so that you can focus on it, so that you know that you can give yourself to the life of the church on the Lord's Day. You tend thereunto with diligence and preparation and prayer. You are to receive it with faith and love. So here we see in, in our passage tonight, verse 13, when you received the word of God, which you heard from us. So here we're, we're talking about something that they heard. It's audible proclamation. When you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. And so when God's word is opened up, and it's faithfully preached, and it's done so with faithfulness and diligence by someone who has been called thereunto, and there's an open presentation of the truth, and God's word is being proclaimed, then as God's people, we are to, to receive it as the word of God, as coming with the stamp of authority, as coming with God's approval. It doesn't mean that pastors are exempt from mistakes. It's not what that means at all. And that is, but that is why the preacher, the minister, it says in the book of James, will be judged with greater strictness, more harshly, because it is on him, the responsibility is on him to make sure that he is faithfully proclaiming. And so as one gives himself to the word of God, God's people are to say, this is coming with the stamp of God's authority, because it's an open presentation of the truth of God's word. One of, the, one of the tests that you can do as you're listening to a sermon is to say, does it seem like the preacher is bringing to us the words of God, the truths of God, and the ideas contained in Scripture? Is he seeking to open those up and to help me understand them, or is he seeking to help me understand his own ideas? J.I. Packer would say that uh, the, the preacher, the kind of Uh, of experience you ought to have sitting under the preaching is you ought to feel like, as the listener, the Bible is between you and the pastor, and he is operating from behind the Scriptures seeking to help you understand. And too often, he said, it's, it's flipped around, that the pastor sort of positions himself between the congregation and the Bible, and it seems to be his ideas that are first and foremost in the occasion of the sermon. 
And so uh, we, when the word is faithfully proclaimed, it is to be received in that way, as the Thessalonians received it, as the word of God, the stamp of God's authority and approval. But we receive it not only as that authoritative word, but receive it with faith. In other words, what this word says, even before we come to a specific text, we ought to be saying in our heart, whatever this word says and means, it is my deepest desire to wholeheartedly believe it without question and to the death. I will absolutely believe what God's word says. I may not understand every passage between now and heaven, but whatever it says, it is my deepest desire to believe it, to receive it with faith. Thomas Watson says this, if we would have the word effectual, we must bring faith to the reading of it. Believe it to be the word of the eternal Jehovah. The word written comes with authority. It has its commission from heaven. Thus saith the Lord. It is of divine inspiration. The oracles of scripture must be surer to us than a voice from heaven. Second Peter, or Second Peter chapter 1. Unbelief enervates it eliminates the virtue of Scripture. It renders it ineffectual. First men question the truth of Scripture and then fall away from it. One of the things that I, I think about often in regards to receiving the Bible with faith is you take something that's so starkly and clearly put in Scripture and, yet, and, and also has an enormous amount of applicability to our lives. In the Scripture it says, in Christ... Sin has no dominion over you. You are not under the condemnation of sin or the power of sin. And then ask yourself, do I really believe that? Am I actually living as though that's true? That because of Jesus Christ, sin does not have dominion over me. It has no power over me. And so often it, uh, it becomes the case that we feel as though, we believe as though, we live as though sin does have dominion and power over us. And one of my favorite uh, authors for pastoral theology, William Still, he says that, that it basically just becomes our word against God. So we say, oh, well, I, I believe that it does have dominion over me. God's word said it, says it doesn't. So whom will we believe? We are just to receive it with faith and also with love. Do we love the Bible? Do we love learning about it? Do we love giving ourselves to it? Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Oh, how I love your law. And then it goes on to list all the things that it does uh, for us, right? I have more understanding than all my teachers for your testimonies are my meditation. That uh, passage ends, of course, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Receive it with faith and with love. Receive it as the, the Thessalonians did, uh, with, uh, as the very word of God. We are to lay it up in our hearts. We are to lay it up in our hearts. Right? The, 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 the place where we store God's word is the heart, as that is the, the engine for all of life, the control center of life. 
Psalm 119, verse 11, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Why do we store up God's word in our hearts? So that we can fight the battle against sin. Those who um, hike out west, people are encouraged to bring with them a, a kit that will deal with a, a snake bite, will be able to extract the venom from you. I don't even know if I'm using all the terms correctly. A snake venom kit or something, you can ask Hank. He's spent time out west. He probably knows more about it than I do. But you're encouraged. If you go hiking on the trails, there's rattlesnakes, there's venomous snakes. So you're encouraged to take that with you. In case you encounter this danger, here's what you use. We know that we're going to encounter sin in our life. Temptation to sin, the, the corruption of our flesh, the temptations of the world, the way that sensuality appeals to us and to our flesh and to our fallen nature. So what do we bring with us? Psalm 119 tells us, I've stored up your word in, your, in my heart so that I might not sin against you. When God's word is hidden in our heart, the fight against sin, against corruption, against the flesh is already won so long as we make use of Scripture. Thomas Watson says this, When the sap is hid in the roots, it makes the branches fruitful. When the seed is hidden in the ground, the corn springs up. So when the word is hidden in the heart, it brings forth good fruit. And you think about it like this. In, uh, throughout the ages, perhaps in the Middle Ages, would be when we would think most about this, there were those who labored uh, copying, making copies of the scriptures, right? Before the printing press, how did you make copies of the scriptures? You wrote it down. And so we have a, an incredible amounts of, of manuscript evidence which, which help us understand what the original manuscripts actually said and why we can have great confidence in the accuracy of our Bible. Right? We actually, what we hold here, the English Bible, is God's word and we can have confidence and, and certainty about that. And that's the way we ought to think about God's Word being written in our hearts, that, that, that we're lab- laboring like scribes during that time so that God's Word would be etched upon our hearts, so that it would be hidden there, laboring diligently in order that it would be copied in our hearts. And then finally, uh, we not only lay it up in our hearts, we practice it in our lives. And we see this in our, our passage in First Thessalonians We exhorted each one of you, we encouraged all of you, we charged you to do what? To walk in a manner worthy of God. Why? Because that's what God wants for us, that's what he wants from his people, lives that are pleasing unto him, those that he calls unto his kingdom and light and glory, but also because that's what God's word commands of us. That's what God's word calls us to do, to walk in a manner worthy of God. Philippians 1, verse 27 says this, Let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Again, it it, it ties a bow upon the, the issue of sincerity and genuineness. And that's a great term, isn't it? Practice it. Practice it in our lives. Do we hear the word of God? Do we receive it with faith and love, with the stamp of God's authority? Are we laying it up in our hearts? And then are we seeking to make it something that defines the life that we live? Are we seeking to put it to action? 
to practice it in our lives. Practice is what we need to do in order to, 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 to make these things manifest in our lives. It's not going to be perfect. A lot of times fits and starts. The things that God calls us to. Be kind, compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other as God has forgiven you, so you must forgive. That's not easy. That takes practice to learn how, how do you forgive someone in a, in a gospel-centered way, in a, in a Christ-centered, God-glorifying way? How do I do that? By the power of the Spirit, but it, it takes a sincere heart, a genuine heart that's ready to practice it, that's ready to try it. Why? Because God calls you to it, because that's what He wants from you, because that's what His Word commands of you. So read the Word of God. Listen to the Word of God preached. Let those things work together in your heart and in your life. And receive the Word of God in the way that the Catechism says, so that you may do all of these things to the glory of God. You practice it. You lay it up. You receive it with faith and love. You attend thereunto with diligence and preparation and prayer. Because this, has, this is how God has willed to build us up for the life uh, that he has for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this chance once again to look to your word and to consider these things together. Oh, Father, we pray that what is spoken of from your word might be true and that human words might fall to the ground and be forgotten forever. Be with us in this coming week. In Christ's name, amen. We end... Going in our Trinity hymnal to number 139. Stand together.